Take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew. The 13th chapter. Excuse me, not Matthew. Luke. <laughs> Luke 13. Knew that. Luke 13. Book of Luke, 13th chapter. 10 through 17. If you do not have a Bible, um, who can I get? Thank you, Dave. Oh, John's, John, yeah, let, let the missionary go. <laughs> Come on, John. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand and John will get it to you. And uh, even if you're teenagers, if you don't have it, put it in front of them. So please accept that. And if you don't have your own, take it home with you. <clears throat> Luke 13, 10 through 17, as we begin our Lenten journey together, um, those of you who receive uh, our emails uh, got a note from the pastor's desk this week, and it was on Lenten, uh, on the Lenten season, and I found it no small significance that we as a church went through 40 days uh, doing devotion together. God adjusting it first through Danny because Danny said, Wayne, when you think about this project, don't think about a date, just think about completion of the project. And then God will set the date. Isn't that right, Danny? I, I remember that. You put, you put your pastor in his place and because uh, the pastor always wants to make it happen now. Anyways, and then when we started it, because of some details, we started it on the 11th of January because God wanted us to. And we went 40 days up to last Sunday. And then on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we're starting a new 40-ish day journey of Lenten. Do you think that's by coincidence? I do not. I do not. I think it's exactly what God wanted us to do because we need to spend time. And, and this is the way I look at Lenten season. It's a personal, intimate walk with Jesus Christ willing to hear his voice, to follow him, and to be led. Where? Through the cross to the open grave. He wants us to live in resurrection power in our life. And so, if you're journeying uh, that, I pray that you are. Um, and I'm excited for it. As I began this Lenten season, of course, a pastor always asks himself the question, Lord, how do you want me to help them walk through this season? And so as I did, I got to uh, Luke 9.51, and I read these words. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he knows his hour is coming, he knows it's close now, and he's on his way to the cross. I asked myself this question. Who did he meet along the way? Because in this short time, whoever he met, it must have been very important. Whoever he took time with, it must have been very important. When you know you're going to die, you do things that are of utmost importance to you. Do you know how many people he talked to on the way to the cross? In Luke only. I'm just talking about Luke. 45 people. 45 people that is written in God's word. Then I asked it. Now listen to me. Then I asked this question. Who seemingly insignificant human beings was met by a significant Savior. That's important for me. I don't know about you, but I have lived a lot of my life feeling insignificant in this world. I have. I have. 18-year addiction. Adopted. Feeling like I don't fit in. I get that feeling. Anybody with me? Yeah. So, so an insignificant person 
met by a significant Savior. Uh, significant is kind of the under, kind of, kind of I, how do you find words to say who Jesus Christ is? I, 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 human words do not. There's a song that was written that if, if um, how does it go now? That, that if I were to write words that would express who you are to me, Jesus, they would fill up all the oceans of the world and still not be enough. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this, this significant Savior runs into insignificant people. And I think this is important for us today because God has called us here as a church to reach out to people who the world many times has seen as insignificant. In fact, the world would like to destroy them and get them out of their way because they're a waste of their time. But Chuck Yukon has written a book and he's written a book about what he calls the struggling class. And the way that that book talks about people is it equalizes every single one of us, rich or poor, famous or not famous, with jobs, without jobs, doesn't matter. Outside of Jesus Christ, we are all people that are harassed without a shepherd. We're all part of the struggling class. Amen? Jesus knew this. He did not look on mankind. And some, in fact, he was told by the Pharisees, you don't look at people the same way the world looks at people. You don't recognize their importance. Jesus Jesus treated all people the same. And so as we come, I, I want you to remember something. In fact, my wife said that, that to me this week. Out of the 40 days that we walked through together, she said to me, she says, you know, people are important. People are important. And it is, it is the investing in people uh, that we're here for. It's in our name. And people, listen to me, people will be the glory of the gospel that remains after you leave this earth. So who are you investing in? Who are you spending time with? If you're isolated, that is not what God wants for you. He wants you, he wants you to, um, to allow your life uh, to be open. And so we're going to walk with, this week, uh, a woman um, who had a spirit of disability for 18 years. Very unknown in Scripture. We're going to walk with 10 lepers. We're going to walk with little children. We're going to walk with a widow who gave all that she had. We're going to walk with Barnabas. Oh, Barabbas, excuse me, not Barnabas, Barabbas. And, and we're going to walk with Jesus in his amazing relationship with the Father. And on Easter, we're going to walk with two distraught disciples on the Emmaus Road. That's where we're going together. So, are you ready for the journey? The next seven weeks, we walk together to the, through, the, through the cross to the, gra to the open grave. So let's read. Luke 13, starting with the 10th verse. It says, As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit or had a spirit of disability for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Woohoo! Yeah. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. Amen. But the leader of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. 
But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrite. Doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. (sighs) Thus is the word of God. As we approach this picture of Jesus, um, he's teaching in a synagogue. Now, you have to understand that, that Israel was a lot like Grand Rapids. They had a church on every corner. And, and you have to also understand, when they talk about the synagogue, it's not like the temple. The temple was the only place where they did, um, they did the sacrifices. Uh, but the synagogues were, were, like, were like us, a, fall, a small family church in the community that came and worshiped together. Very, very important place for people. And the, and the Torah was read there all the time. Uh, there was a leader, uh, the leader of the synagogue. His main purpose was not speaking every week, but making sure that the Torah was correctly interpreted. And so there were people who would come with a word, and they would speak, and he would check the Torah to make sure what they were saying was true. In here you have a pastor who preaches and uh, you guys have the Bible in your hand because you're going to check to make sure what I'm saying is true. And so that was where Jesus was. I find it interesting that the scripture that we're in is in the context of a parable that Jesus told. Now, I'm not sure if he told it in the synagogue or if it was before he went there, but the parable is about a tree that for three years has not produced any fruit. And so the vineyard owner says to the worker, you know, let's dig that tree up. It's been put in favorable ground. It's been fertilized in water, and it's producing nothing. Let's dig the thing up and get rid of it. The the vineyard worker says, give me another year. Let me dig around it aerate its roots, let me fertilize it and water it, and then after a year, if it does not produce fruit, then we will dig it up and throw it away. The vineyard owner is the Lord, the Father. The vineyard worker is Jesus Christ. The tree is the church. The tree is the church. In Revelation, the second chapter, it says, O church, look how how far you have fallen. You have lost your first love. Repent and return to me. Otherwise, I will remove your, your lampstand. But repent. In John 15, The church is called to produce the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. uh, Jesus said that you did not choose me, I chose you, so that you would go and produce fruit. Fruit of the gospel. If we don't do that, we'll lose our lampstand. Now listen to me. You know generation, no generation has more of a visual sight of that than you all do. 1,500 pastors are leaving the pulpits on a monthly basis. Churches are closing all over. I was on the way um, to um, Anna Burhau's house, and I went by a church that had a for sale sign, and I looked at Sue, and I said, For sale? For sale? A place that was called to worship God is for sale? And it's happening all over. People of God, why do you go to church? Why do you go? Amen. 
Amen. It is a good question. There was a Pew Research that was done recently and, and asked the question of 4,729 adults in 2018, why do you go to church? Listen to their, listen to their, um, listen to their answers. One, to be closer to God. It was the, it was the best, it was the, the highest answer of all answers. Second, to be a better person. Third, for comfort in time of trouble and sorrow. Fourth, I find the sermons valuable. <laughs> Fifth, feel religious obligation to go. Six, so my children will grow up with a moral foundation. Teenagers, are you listening? Seven, to continue family religious traditions. Eight, to please family, spouse, partner. Nine, to be part of a community of faith. And finally, to meet new people, to socialize. Why do you go to church? What's missing? What's missing from that list? Well, the first one was that to grow closer to God, so that, 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 that covers that one. Huh? Yeah, yeah, good sermon. Yeah, yeah. What's missing? Yes, obedience. What did you say? Yeah. You glorify God, obedience. And how do we glorify God? By producing fruit of the gospel. That the gospel is so much inside my heart that I cannot stay quiet. That I cannot stay Stay down. That everything I do in my life is off of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything. He has every right with me. That's missing from there. It's been missing a long time. We have been in a desert as a church. And God is calling us to stand up. So... My next question was this. Why does Jesus go to church? I think it's a great question. Why, did, no, why does Jesus go to church? Why does he go to church? Yes. <laughs> Let's find out. So we have the, yes, thank you, brother. We have this story. He's teaching on the Sabbath day. Now, it says here, as he was teaching on the Sabbath, um, uh, one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now, the commentators believe that truly, but she walked in. The first reason why Jesus goes to church is because he knows there's power in the word. He knows there's power in the word. Why does he know that? Because in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus was there because he is the word of God in flesh. And he believes that in him, life changes. Now, how do we know that by the word described in Bible? There are, there are um, seven words in Scripture that describes the power of his word. One is eternal life. The word is eternal. The second one is that it's light. It, it's, it, it's light to us. The third is a laundering soap. The fourth is a hammer. The fifth is a sword, double-edged. The sixth is seed, that it's the seed. And finally, that the word is food. That is what describes the word that you are hearing now as we read. So the power that we hold in our hands right now with the word of God. And set that thing down, girl, pick it back up. The, <laughs> the, sorry. <laughs> Just... He said I was full of the Spirit. Um, 
said that the power we hold in our hands through the enablement of the Holy Spirit is awesome for forever life. It is true understanding of real life. It is the the power to clean our hearts from sin. It breaks hardened hearts, cutting through the drama of life. It reveals real. It is the planning of new future and purpose in our life. It is feeding the hungry and the thirsty. That is what that thing is. That's why Jesus goes to church. Because he believes that what we hold in our hand has the ability to transform and change our life forever. So don't you think that there should be movement and changing in our hearts in the presence of the Holy Word by this Word, by the Holy Spirit? Someone said to me last week, he said, when the Word was being read out loud, there was a difference in the room. Amen. Amen. I can tell you this, that last Saturday, I sat here, I had hardly any strength. My wife said, what's wrong with you? I had hardly any strength. I sat here from 10 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night, letting the word just flow over top of me. So needed it in my life. And so Jesus goes, because the word is being read, he's teaching. And then he meets this woman of disability. Like I said, the commentators believe that she walked in as Jesus was teaching. Why would that be true? Well, because in her world, she had three strikes against her. The first was she was a woman, so she was second class. That was was what was happening in Jesus' day. Y'all get that? Do you get the fact that Jesus raised up women? Okay, don't ever lose that. Second of all, she had a disability which in their day they believed would have been a punishment from God. That's how they viewed sickness. That's how they viewed disabilities. You must have done something wrong in your life. God is punishing you. And so, you know, hands off. And third, she was inflicted by a demon. Whether it's harassed or whether it was... um, Uh, She was demonized, we don't know, but certainly there was physical harassment that had happened in her. Just like in Job, Job 2.7, when it says that, so Satan left the Lord's presence and inflicted Job with terrible sores. It happens. It happens in our day. But this is the woman that we've been in. We don't know her name. We don't know where she came from. Seems rather insignificant, and yet... I love her because she represents every single one of us. Every single one of us who come to church, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, as we draw closer to him, we see ourselves more clearly, more clearly, and we are humbled and small before him. And if that's true about us, as it was about her, our desperation for him becomes more and more. I need you more and less of me. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so this is a, so, so there's the introduction of our woman. But there's probably something you didn't think about that I didn't think about as I was in my study. What did it take for her to walk in to the synagogue? I have literally watched strong men come into this church and literally shake because of the presence of the Holy Spirit here. Literally shake. And can you imagine what it took for this woman to walk into, uh, into the synagogue? It took courage and strength to walk in. It did. It did. What if she wouldn't have gone? What if she would not have gone? What if what other people thought of her was more than her desperation of God? Isn't that what stops us from worship sometimes? What somebody thinks about us? I've heard the statement saying, you know, if I walked in, um, lightning would strike. Yeah, brother, I remember you shaking when you came in here. You bet I did. You bet I do. 
And I want you to think about that. Listen to what Isaiah says. Come now, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. I know that there are people maybe even within the sound of my voice, who are afraid to truly come into the presence of the Lord. Even coming into church, but you you are keeping the secret inside of you. You don't believe that people will accept you, that the Lord will accept you. You you have heard voices in your in your mind for years that have continued to say you're no good. You're you're never going to make anything of yourself. You don't, don't go forward. Don't 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 receive what Jesus has for you because you're not worthy of it. And yet she came. She came. That is so important for someone to hear today. And that is the first reason why Jesus comes to church is because of the power of the word of God. The second reason Jesus comes to work is found in 12 through 14. It says, when Jesus saw her, he called out to her, woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. The second reason Jesus goes to church is because the healing freedom that comes from the gospel. No, 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 no. The healing freedom that comes from the gospel. It has been a dry time, hasn't it? Many of us have gone in and out of church for so many years. And we feel like we've never experienced that. I've even heard people say these words. Grace is okay for everybody else, but not for me. Where do you find that in the Bible? Jesus goes because of healing, the the power of gospel healing freedom. Now, I'm not talking about a national, global claim to some kind of freedom to do what we want, when we want, and how we want. This is short-term, always has been, if you, if you read any hist- history, you'll realize that human freedom is always short-term. Always short-term. In fact, right now I'm reading a book by Erwin Lutzer. It says, No Reason to Hide. It's describing all the ways that our physical freedoms are slowly being sifted away by those who would consider themselves gods and the aristocrats of the, of the, of the world. The interesting thing is it's not just happening nationally now, it's, it's happening globally. And... It is, I believe, possibly the entrance into globalization or a one-world government. We know it's going to happen. The Bible has said it, and so we must believe it. That's not the freedom I'm talking about. The freedom I'm talking about is the inner freedom, a healing that comes from Jesus, the one who became the peacemaker between us and the Father. I'm talking about a freedom that Jesus indicated when he said this to the Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, you were really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the freedom I'm talking about. I'm talking about when Paul says, now the the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'm talking about a freedom that starts from the inside out and changes everything, everything. Now I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that in this passage, you notice there's no power encounter between Christ and the enemy. I think that's, that's significant. 
I have I've been a part of, of Freedom Ministry now uh, in, in some formal ways for, for two, over two years. I have found out that deliverance ministry is not necessarily gospel ministry. That I have met people who have been set free from demonic harassment and yet are not following Jesus Christ. What's the difference? The difference is it's the truth that sets us free, not some power encounter from another person. It's truth that sets us free. It's this word. Jesus said, I am the way, the and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so it isn't true. So true transformation is not a power encounter, but a truth encounter. When there's true change, discipleship is always personal. Notice that Jesus Christ not only said you're free, he laid hands on her. He, he touched her. It is, it is truly Two people walking side by side with each other, giving glory to God in both word and deed. It is a truth encounter. And and third of all, notice that her healing had nothing to do with her faith. It was all the sovereign act of God. It doesn't even say that she's a believer at this point. But she walked into synagogue, and in his sovereignty, he healed her. That's where we get a correct view of healing, is that we pray for people's healing, but we leave it up to God's sovereignty. There'll be times he heals. There'll be times he chooses not to. Same God. It isn't about the amount of faith that you have. It's about the fact that you trust in his sovereignty. Remember the Apostle Paul? Three times, three times he went to the Lord and said, heal this thorn in my side. Three times. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Meaning, the thorn's staying. You feel weak? Great. That's where your power is. Now you get it? And he got it. He said, in fact, I will celebrate my weakness so that his power may be revealed through me. We don't know if it was his eyesight, if he had a limp, if we, we don't know what it was, but he trusted, trusted in the Lord. And I love it, the fact that, that uh, this woman immediately began to glorify God. I, if God chooses to heal Jim, Jude, Judy's brother, it is my prayer that someday he'll stand up in front of this church and praise the Lord. Because that's why God heals. You remember Hezekiah? Remember when he was sick? Right? And, and, you know, he cried out to God, I've been faithful to you all my life. And so God turned Isaiah around, brought him right back up, says, ah, there was a proclamation that, you're, that you were going to, you know, get your, get your house in order because you're going to die. God's changed his mind. No, God is sovereignly moving. He's going to heal you for 15 years. What's one thing he did in those 15 years? Do you remember? He showed all of Babylon the, the, the riches of Jerusalem. Pride. Be careful of God's healing. Be careful of God's healing. Use it for his glory in your life. Use it for his glory. And it can come through medication. Yes, it can. And so, and so this woman begins to heal. And be careful about the fact that, you. well, you know, Jesus was there. Obviously, she would be healed. Be careful of that. Don't go there. There was just as many people that walked away from Jesus unhealed as there was healed. In fact, remember what Jesus said in, um, in Nazareth when he was in his hometown, that it was a single mother who was an unbeliever that the Lord supplied with food to support her and not his chosen people, even though there were many going hungry at that time. It was, it was Nahum, Naaman, 
Naaman that, that was healed from leprosy when there was much leprosy in the chosen people. That's what made his hometown angry at him, even their own word. And so be careful of that. So I have a question for you as I've read this. Why does it seem that the power of the Holy Spirit is limited or at times restrained and not given full freedom among us? Why is that? I have two suggestions for you that I'd like to end my message with. First, we put God in a doctrinal box so he can make sense to us. And second, there's an attitude. If I haven't experienced in the past, it can't happen in the future. And so let's just, let's explore that as we end this time together. First of all, what was the response of the leader of the synagogue? Woohoo! There's healing among us. Amen. No. He was indignant. It's a, it's a description of intense displeasure, expression of anger, and listen to this, considered unworthy or improper. Can you believe that there are people maybe even sitting among us here today that if God chose to do a healing among us right now, that there'd be some who say, well, that's not proper. That's not proper. That doesn't fit into my doctrine. That doesn't fit into how I have seen the Lord. I want, so, so what we have here is we have the law of God. Listen to me. This is strange. The law of God coming against the grace of God. How can that happen? I've got one sentence for you that God gave to me this morning. The law of God without the God of the law is legalism. Listen to me. The law of God without the God of the law is legalism. Is legalism. It's a human construct of protecting oneself in some kind of religious way so that it makes sense to you. This was never to be something that totally made sense to us. This was something, a relationship with Jesus Christ that's supposed to keep us in awe of who he is, that keep us in, in incredible humility before him, that he can do anything in and among us, and he has the freedom to live among us. And so that is where this man perceived that this was improper and out of order for the service. It is wrong to put God in a doctrinal box. Now, notice where he went with this. Do you see where he went? I'm going to read it to you so you, you hear it. But he goes to the Ten Commandments, right? So he goes to the law of God. All right? He was going to the right place. Listen to this. In Exodus 28, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Okay? So he went to the right place. But he missed the one that wrote it. When I thought about this, I thought about my mom and dad having it. Uh, and I didn't hear this. I heard this later. But my mom told us kids we couldn't ride our bike on Sunday. Oh, Jay did the same thing? Okay. And so anyway, <laughs> John's son points to dad and says, yeah. And so my dad said, where do you find that in the Bible? Where do you find that in the Bible? And my mom just couldn't quite answer that well. So, you know, guess what us kids got to do? <laughs> I don't remember riding my bike a lot on Sunday, but we had the freedom to do it. Tim, could you ride your bike on Sunday? Okay, okay. That was the motorcycle then, right? <laughs> but, yeah, and so I, right, so here, this is the God of the law. Listen to me closely. If you 
If you have the law written by God, but you don't have the God that was written, that wrote the law, you're missing it. This is the God that wrote the law. He said this, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus said. Meaning Jesus fulfilled the law. His life was the law encompassed in flesh. Second, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning mankind is not enslaved to some kind of observance of the Sabbath. But God demonstrated the reality that we need rest. In our human life, people who are working seven days a week, you single moms, I don't know how you do it. I do not know how you do it. My hat is off to you. If you ever need me to come over and clean, ask my wife. She'll do it for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hey, you don't want me clean and I'm a messy. But anyways, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Now listen to me. The Sabbath was set as a time of intimate relationship with him. That's what it's for. And so... And so, um, and so we were not made, the Sabbath was made for us, not for us for the Sabbath. Second, third, the Father is intimately working in his creation every day. I'm glad that my cousin is walking up here right now because John, <laughs> John does something that I think is unique. You need to know about him. John, he does bonsai work. Do you know what that is? He makes these creation of bonsai and he manipulates the, uh, the, uh, the roots so that they grow thick and out of a very thin soil. He will mip- manipulate branches so that they'll grow in certain ways so that it shapes a certain way. But there's one thing that I know about what John has to do when he has a bonsai plant is that every day he has to water it. Every day. The soil is so thin that if you missed, it would die. So you need to be on care seven days a week. That is our God. That's a picture of our God. Everything outside of him is but a desert it's dryness, but he is, the, he is the water that springs up within us, living water, and he every day is involved in our life, and he wants to be intimate with us every day. And then finally, Jesus said, so he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Father is intimately working with his creation, and finally, it is, listen, it is good to do good on the Sabbath. It is good. I want to read a passage to you in Romans. Um, It's Romans 14, and it is the uh, fifth through the sixth verse. Write it down if you want to see it. It says this, one person judges one day to be more important than another. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Listen, whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. The honor of the Lord. And so, and so the, 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 the Sabbath was created for us. It was created to do good. What is good? Good is the work of the Lord. Any service that is done to lift Jesus up in our world, whether it's setting up of chairs or going on Yukon Ministries, is a work of the Lord. And it's good to do good on the Sabbath. Amen? Amen. Amen. He gives us so much freedom. So much freedom, and he wants gospel freedom. So verse 15, he comes, and he, he first in 14, he, he addresses the doctrinal wrong of, of the uh, leader. Then in 15, he calls him out. He says, but the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox and donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be united? Uh, yeah, shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Amen. Amen. So what he did is two things. First of all, he he addresses their hypocrisy um, from their own rabbinical law. The rabbinical law said, feed it and let it drink only if it doesn't have a burden. That's rabbinical law. But think about what that leader was doing. He didn't even deem the woman enough 
of his own animal to bring her to the water of life. Let that sink in. That's what hypocrisy is. That's what happens when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to be unleashed within our presence. He is the spring of water. He is the bread of life. And I think that the Sabbath day or this day is a great day for people to be set free. Notice the response. He said to those whose adversaries were humiliated, but they were unmoved. Their pride was unbroken, but yet those who believed praise God. As we close our time together, I want to I address the second question. I want to address the fact that, um, of what, uh, um, I'm going to forget this, but Lord help me. Oh, the attitude. If, if I haven't experienced in the past, it can't be true for, true for the future. Many of us who have gone to church for a lot of years has a set pattern in our life what church looks like. And that, that kind of construct is both comforting to us and also it's, it, it, it's a lot of reason why people, amen, why some people don't go to church. Because of the way that church has been viewed. In fact, I remember a time where people said, well, church is feminine. And I'm just not into this feminine stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I said to them, well, hey, we need more men then, don't we? We need more men to stand up. But anyways, so, so we, need, we need to um, we need a change. Isaiah 43 says this, and here, receive it from the Lord. In the 18, 19 verse says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Like Israel, we have learned, lived in a very dry wilderness. Very dry. For many years in the church, it's been dry. Because there has been a restraint to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A restraint to the word and a restraint to the healing power of the Holy Spirit. You notice that most of the reasons why people are going to church from the survey are physical instead of spiritual. That is because in a materialistic world, we focus on the physical, making sure this life is comfortable. That was never the way of followers in fact, it's gotten so physical that the survey, there's a growing community of what they call nuns, those who have no religious affiliation because religion has become unimportant to them, no longer applicable to their life. So we need a new thing. We need a new thing. I want to read to you Matthew um, 13. Um, And it is the 52nd verse of Matthew um, 13. He says these words, and this is important for you to know as, you th as being a disciple. It says, therefore he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storehouse treasures new and old. New and old, Okay. What does that mean? That means that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's been some good things. We don't throw the Old Testament out like somebody like Annie Stanley has said. We no longer need to read the Old Testament because it no longer applies. That's a lie. We need to hold on to the old things. But we also need discernment to say there's a new thing springing up in the desert. Can you perceive it? So how do we do that? He says this. In Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says. Stand by the road, the roadways, and look. Ask about the ancient paths. Is this of the Lord? Which, which is the way to what is good? Then take it and find rest for yourselves. So what's, what is he saying here? Look at what's going on in your society. Don't stick your head in the sand. Second, get into the ancient paths. Get into the word. Let the word speak to you. It'll give you discernment. Second, third, do good. Do the work of the Lord. 
1 Corinthians 5.58 says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and unmovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Keep at it. Keep going. Believe that God is doing something new. And then hear the words of Jesus. Soon I've had to hear this um, uh, even as recent, it says this in Matthew 8, uh, 11, 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Increase your frequency of coming to Jesus. Increase your time in prayer. Increase your time in the word. Increase, because God is doing something new in the desert. And he's saying, Peter, are you perceiving it? And are you willing to stick up and to, and to see it? This woman came to Jesus she had a disability, a demonic disability for 18 years. Her life was transformed by the word of God and by the power of the healing gospel of Jesus Christ. People of God, that is what he's calling us to. So why do you go to church? I think it's time to be set free on the Sabbath, don't you? That's what we're here for. And if there's anybody in this room that does not feel freedom, Come to the altar. Come forward. Don't care what anybody says. Don't care what people think of you. Don't care about your reputation. Come to him. And he will heal you. Now, will he heal an ailment? I don't know. That's his sovereign power. But he guarantees that if he says, I stand at the door and knock, he who opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. The problem is, you haven't opened the door. You didn't hear that. The problem is, you haven't opened the door. I don't think you heard that. The problem is, you haven't opened the door. He's here. He wants to meet with you. Stop scraping by, just trying to make it happen, trying to put your own human construct around this, what you know of God, and try to, try to work it out by gritting your teeth. He's the, he's the freedom. He is the freedom. You're not. He is. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the fact that your spirit moved here today that John went back to Godwin uh, in Elger Heights, picked up his thing next to his bed. He was so moved by your spirit and came back here. Lord, you are doing something. Let us be free, Father. Free, set free by your word. And Lord, in the, the freeing power of your spirit, healed so that we can do what we're called to do. John is just doing what he was called to do by you, by your spirit. Father, let that spirit be released in among us, in our hearts. May we do even the most craziest thing because you're calling us to. And you call in our hearts, Father, and we hear you. Father, I just pray that, that we'll never, ever again forget this woman who had a, a spirit of disability for 18 years and how you set her free God, may that be every one of us in this room, but I know it's not everyone right now. And so, Father, I just pray for that person that is restrained back, that is either afraid or pride is holding them back from coming forward and being set free. Father, let it be today. Set somebody free among us so that, Father, we can celebrate your amazing work of freedom but it's going to take sometimes the bending over of somebody of humility for that to happen. And so if they do not come, Lord, let them be like the bent woman. Let them see it clearly. We love you. Thank you for your word that's true. And we give you all the praise and honor and glory in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen.